Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 106 of our Truth Tidbits as we continue looking into the Word of God each and every day to see what the Lord might speak to us today. And today I'd like to conclude with the book of Second Peter that I've been in now for quite some time. And I want to conclude that by reading these final chapters, final verses of the last chapter, Second Peter chapter 3. And I want us to see how Peter shares his heart. These last verses are Peter's last words to the believer, to Christians. He knows that he is just about to go to his death. He knows that he's going to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And so he's sharing in his writings, particularly Second Peter, his heart's desire for the body of believers to have something that they can then remember him by, grow from. He's, it's not even really supposed to be something for him to, re, to be remembered by, but more, he tells us in First Peter chapter 1. I mean, in Second Peter chapter 1, he tells us in verse 12 through 15, and we went over that in an episode earlier, but he talks about how, he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always in these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent or in this body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, or put off my body, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So that's Peter's purpose in writing the book of Second Peter, is to give us this epistle, this legacy of faith, his instructions, what's really on his heart. Because when, if, someone knows, <clears throat> if someone knows that they are about to die, they will share their heart. That will be their final words. The things that are most important to them, the things that they really, really, really want to instill in those that they are leaving behind, they will share those from their heart with those people. And so these are Peter's last words. And he is really going to stress living in light of eternity. I want us to see a little bit of the connection and progression of this final epistle of Peter. First of all, in chapter 1, we've already mentioned about his unapologetic purpose and determination to, first of all, stir everyone up, stir the Christians up to what they should be doing and remembering, and then to leave it as a legacy of faith so that they will then have it and can read it and how many of us are blessed because Peter wrote Second Peter. There's many truths in this small book. Also, we saw in chapter 1 the building blocks or the staircase of a sound and solid Christian foundation in the faith. In chapter 2, we mainly saw and focused on the need for discernment due to the fact 
that there would be grave deception, mega deception. Then earlier in chapter 3, we talked about how Jesus is still coming. In spite of mockers, he is not late, but, he, but rather he is seeking to save all who will come to repentance so that none would perish. That's his heart's desire. But he goes on and he talks about the certainty of the end of this world and the certainty of eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. Whether people will come to know Jesus or not, this, this is the coming end, period. We have the opportunity to lead people to Christ now, and people have the opportunity to come to know him before it's too late. But there's a new home coming, New Jerusalem, for the beloved believers, for the saints of the living God, the Christians. We will have a brand new address, so to speak. He also gives us the general viewpoint of these truths in how they should affect us. And he did that. We talked about that in our last episode in, in a general overview form of how it should really affect us in the sense that we should be living a holy lifestyle set apart for Jesus from all other loves, all other distractions, and then godliness developing the character of Jesus Christ day to day, and then the eager expectancy of our Lord's return and the fact that we are going to a new home. Now, for the rest of his chapter, he's going to give some specifics about those general uh, things that he wanted to show us. In the earlier verse, holy conduct, godliness, and eager expectancy of the Lord's return. Now he's going to get specific as he writes, sharing his heart with his final last words, the last thing he wants to leave us with. Notice first that he says, I want to read verses 14 through 18, and then I'll go back and discuss these with you. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Now, he says first, he says that they are looking forward to these things. He expects us to be looking forward to what things? The coming of the Lord, the uh, salvation of souls, the day of the Lord that's going to come, 
destroying this earth, this planet, and, and the heavens, the outer space, and making brand new heavens, new earth, bringing in the new Jerusalem, our new home. These are things that we are to look forward to. Matter of fact, he's expecting and taking for granted, so to speak, that we are, in fact, looking forward to these things because they are going to happen. They are assured. He says that we are to be anticipating, looking forward to these, expecting them in hope and in just an eagerness, eagerly awaiting them. And so he says, and he takes for granted that we are. So, beloved friend, let's be eagerly expecting our Lord's return. So then he says, be diligent. In other words, give earnest effort, pay attention, give careful attention to and watch out for. And then he tells us what we are to be diligent about. He says, to be found by him. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus is coming and that's absolutely sure. Peter takes that for granted because that's a surety. That's a certainty. But the question is, how will he find you? How will he find me? I want to turn now to the book of Luke. And I want to read the first few verses of Luke chapter 18. So let's begin. Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you he that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? Now he tells us here that this prayer is to this parable is to teach us to always pray, not losing heart, but expecting justice, expecting God to answer. So he says here that persistence in prayer pays off. But then he draws down and he brings this point out. The parable is about an unjust judge who's just gotten so tired of this woman nagging, 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 nagging at him. He finally gives in and says, okay, here you go. Here's your justice. So then he says, how much more? Because God is not an unjust judge. God hears the cries and the tears and the groans of us continually that we need help from our adversaries. We need deliverance from sin. We need deliverance from um, 
from the problems and troubles of this life. Those that perhaps have even been martyred, the, their blood is crying out to him. We know that from scripture. So Jesus is saying here, there is a certainty to the fact that God is the avenging judge. He will avenge us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So that's coming. But then Jesus makes this statement and he says, but when I come back, basically is what he's saying. When the son of man comes again, is he really going to find that kind of faith? The kind of faith that will persist in prayer, that will persist in asking because we believe that we are speaking to a living God who is a just judge and who will right all wrongs in the end. So he says that God is the faithful and just judge. Vengeance is his. Vengeance is coming. And it is sure. He will bring true justice. But is he going to really find people who know and believe and hope fully in his promise to come? his promise to avenge, and his promise to right all wrongs. So Peter here is picking up on that. Peter would have been one of those in the audience to have heard this and remembered this parable. And Peter now says, how's he going to find you? How's he going to find me? How is Jesus going to find each of us? Peter's desire is that we will, he will find us in peace, that we will be found by him. The impetus being on us to strive for these things with careful attention because he said, be diligent to be found in him, in peace, to be found by him in peace. That's what we must strive for. Now let's look at these because he says a few other things about this. He says, first of all, to strive for and be diligent to be found by him in peace, in the fixed position of peace that will settle us. It reminds me of when uh, there's an I Love Lucy episode when, you know, Lucy was, she was a hoot as far as always trying to, you know, get into trouble. And, and that's what made it such a wonderful comedy show. And many of you have seen many of her episodes perhaps and have seen this episode but there was one where remember she was at uh, Groman's theater and she was trying to steal John Wayne's footprint block from the the cement and all of that and so you know they came at night and they did all this stealthily you know secretive stuff and and uh you know she poured this cement and then she had this bucket of cement they had to hide because the the guard was coming by and uh, so she ends up stepping in it and so her foot is in this cement long enough to be set. So, you know, then she's having to deal with this. Well, her foot was stuck in that cement. It was cemented around her. And, you know, it, I'm sure, could have been broken off or whatever. But the point is, it was in a fixed position. Unless they were able to break that off of her, and I'm sure they did, of course, and it was all for show Hollywood style. But the point is that that represented her being in a fixed position. That's her foot was cemented in. So Peter is, in a sense, saying here, be cemented in. Let him be finding you 
cemented in a place of peace. So let's talk about that peace. I believe it may reference, first and foremost, peace with God. And the only way that we have peace with God, according to Romans 5.1, is when we are justified by faith, by faith alone. He's talked about it in Romans chapter 1 through 5. He speaks about how it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And in that salvation, we are justified before God, declared righteous by him because Jesus paid the death sentence in our place. So that gives us peace with God. We have peace. We're resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It could also speak of peace in our inner being, peace that will give us calm through these troublesome days. Why? Because we're resting in the Lord. We know that he is our shepherd. We know that he is our Lord. We know that he loves us and nothing can separate us from his love. We're resting in him. It also speaks of how this kind of peace comes by the work of the Holy Spirit, and because our full rest and trust is in Jesus. It also may mean as well that we would be found in peace with other people. The Bible tells us, you can see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, about how we are to pursue peace as much as is possible within us to be at peace with all people. So how will he find us? Will he find us cemented in peace, trusting him, resting in him, and at peace in every area of our life to the best of our ability? He also says, I want him to find you without spot, meaning no sin in our life, no secretive sins, no hidden sins, no um, willful sins, no stains, no filthiness of the mind or spirit, staying clean, bleaching out any stains that do come because we all fall from time to time. We have a propensity to sin. God grants us the ability to grow in him to the point that we become more and more victorious as we go along. But none of us have absolutely no sin. The point is, when we do find out that there's a stain in our life, when the Holy Spirit nudges us and says, mm, you shouldn't have said that, or, you know, you've got a bad attitude here, or whatever the sin is that he's reminding us of, the point is that we be quick to repent. Because 1 John 1, 9 says that he is faithful and just, that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He'll wash away the stains. He'll bleach them out of our lives. Peter also wants us to be found by him being blameless. That speaks of living a life of honor to Jesus. A life where there's no skeleton in our closet, so to speak, that would bring a reproach to Jesus Christ's name and the honor of his name. Nothing that would cause us to reproach him in any way. Nothing that would wound our testimony or our witness 
or lead other people astray by either our words or our lifestyle. May we be found blameless. That's Peter's heart's desire that we would be found blameless, living a lifestyle that brings Jesus honor, a lifestyle that's what we might say true blue. In other words, we mean what we say and we live it. We're walking our talk. We're not just preaching to somebody. You need to be saved. But then they see us going to bars. They see us drinking. They see us cursing. They see us living like the world. They see us, you know, doing whatever that, that they know to be worldly. Those things should not be in the Christian life. They should not be there. They are bringing a wound to our testimony for Jesus, and they are bringing a reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would take that to heart, that the Spirit of the Lord would speak to you and help you as well as me so that we are living lives of honor that will bring no reproach to Jesus' beautiful and wonderful name nor to his character. Also, remember also, while we are eagerly waiting that Jesus keeps saving people. He says this, don't, you know, don't consider the long suffering as anything but the fact that Jesus is saving souls. This concurs, and he also concurs and confesses his brotherhood with Paul and Paul's writings here in his final words. Now he gets down to verse 17 and 18, and he speaks about how every single person must choose, but Peter is urging each one and all Christians by even calling us beloved family members, dearly beloved brothers and sisters, affectioned brothers and sisters. He's telling us the surety of this truth. In other words, he says that we know the surety of this truth before it even happens. It's as if he's saying, what I told you, I'm the apostle of Jesus and the leader of the church here. I'm about to leave to be with you. So these are my final words. Take them to heart. He says to beware, take heed, give caution to, watch out and stay on guard lest you fall from your own steadfastness. He says, in other words, the danger is there. You can fall from your own steadfastness. There is a danger there. He says, beware, <clears throat> lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Today we are living in a day where there is much falsehood, much deception, and much error. And any of us could fall from that. So Peter is telling us that there is a danger each and every one of us could fall. Each and every one of us could be led away if we are not careful, if we are not being cautious, if we are not watching out and staying on guard. To discover how to discern between truth and error, I would encourage you to read 1 John 4, those first several verses John writes about that, about the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error, 
and how to tell the difference. But you've got to be careful. There is so much danger and deception out there, and we must watch out so that we don't fall into it. It is There is a danger for every single one of us, and it is real. So Peter says this. He says the way to prevent that, Peter tells us here, and it concurs with what John said because it's all about Jesus and knowing Jesus and understanding truth versus error. So Peter says, how do we prevent it? How do we be on guard? What's the solution? He says the solution is to watch out and beware, be constantly attentive, no matter what it is or where it's coming from. It could be popular. It could be unpopular. It could be from mega churches. It could be from tiny country churches. It could be from anyone, any Christian leader. We've got to be cautious. We've got to be careful because there is much deception out there. So he says, it comes by being careful and watching out here in these verses. But then he also says it comes through growth. That speaks of the increase and progression of the Christian life. We start out, every one of us starts out believing in Jesus Christ and being a newborn babe. And if you go back to Peter's first epistle, he talks about that. And he tells newborn Christians exactly what to do. He says, as newborn babes desire first the sincere milk of the word. And we've talked about that in an episode earlier. Peter is making clear that newborn babes in Christ need the milk of the word. They need to get into the scriptures and dig in and hunger for the word of God. That's the milk that they need to feed on, just like a brand new baby will feed on milk until he or she is able to introduce some other foods and slowly begin the process of growing and developing the ability to feast on other things. They don't start out feasting on steak. They have to start with the milk. So Peter says, start there, but grow it's just like a seed planted in the ground. The desire is that the seed will then germinate and grow to a nice, strong, healthy, productive plant or tree. Same thing with the babies that they grow up to adulthood. There's a process and it takes time, but it will happen. Let the Lord do that. Bring that welcome to his teaching you and bringing you to a process of growth. And he tells us here exactly how to grow into a sound, healthy, and mature Christian, just like there's things that are necessary for a child, a baby, to grow into a strong and healthy adult or a tree or a plant to grow from a seed into a strong and healthy adult and mature tree or plant. Peter tells us sound growth comes by two things. We are to be growing in the grace of our Lord. There is true grace of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the grace of our Lord. There is a truth and a um, sincere appreciation 
for that true grace of God. But beware, because there's also teaching and other things that speak about a, some form of a hyper grace that just lets us get by with anything. You can live any way you want to because grace covers it all. That is not scriptural. That does not connect with what the scriptures teach us. And I want to read one final verse as I begin to close us down here. As far as grace, the true grace of God, Paul tells us when he writes to Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's the true grace that is taught in the Bible. That's the true grace of God. It's an empowering grace. It's a teaching grace. It's a grace that will help us and sanctify us from the things of the world so that those things are no longer a part of our life anymore. And we don't live like we used to, but we now live for him. We now live in honor of his name. We now live blameless lives. We now live lives that have no stain and no sin, lives where we are at peace with God and with one another. That's true grace. So Peter says, grow in this grace, Go, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way to grow in the knowledge of Jesus is through the word of God and spending time with him in a relationship through prayer and the study of his word. You cannot live without it. You cannot grow steadily and healthily without it. And that is Peter's heart. He's sharing his heart. He says, you must have both. And my heart for you, my heart's desire for you all is that you will have both and you will be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's my heart's desire for you as well. Peter shared his heart here. And may we share his heart and may we take it to heart and be careful to bring it to pass, to allow this to work in our lives. So I pray that this is a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name.